You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 507, Sisters with Transistors and Delia Derbyshire. Night People, Radio After Dark, and Tales of Rock and Roll Excess. That's all coming up after Alabama Shakes and Hold On. Got to hold on. You got to hold on. 
the staggeringly superb guitar work and vocals of Brittany Howard. Uh, this mm. is the lead single from their first album in 2012. The album is called Boys and Girls, and from it, the Alabama Shakes and Hold On. Brilliant album, brilliant song, brilliant singer. What more can you ask for, really? Yes, exactly. Welcome to the latest from the Parish Council. It's episode 507. I'm Terence Dackham, and described this week as a geriatric millennial, it's <laughs> Juliet Harris. I know. I mean, what to even begin to say about that? It's it's really appalling. But uh, having said that, I am. I've been saying for years I'm the oldest millennial swinger in town. So so I'm very pleased that that's finally been acknowledged. It apparently means we face always as geriatric millennials because oh, we go, we can adapt to change well. in a sort of a work con- context. Yet we can also explain it to our elders in a way that that they can understand so apparently we're the ones that you want in your firm i'm told anyway good good morning afternoon evening and night depending on when you're listening when i was very young i wasn't allowed to watch doctor who in case it Mm. gave me nightmares and this was probably fair enough because (laughs) it might have done i think yeah because i was previously banned from watching popeye cartoons because i burst (laughs) into tears when popeye was getting beaten up by brutus Um, (laughs) i mean i I think that says a lot of things about you all of them good about your sensitivity although i'm sorry to derail us even in the introduction but i think you would like to hear this when i was at school i was about seven or eight someone was trouble i think our re teacher was trying to explain to us about you know the different religions and we got Mm. on to catholicism and she said now can you tell me who this person is you know he's head of the catholic church and you know no one really knew and she said you know he walk he kisses the ground as he walks along and nobody knew and she said the first three letters of his name are p-o-p and someone said is it popeye and every (laughs) time every time i see popeye on anything i just imagine him kissing the ground as he walks along so sorry sorry to do to you there, but carry on. <laughs> um, well, actually, you know, as he being beaten up by Brutus, it's a bit of a spoiler. Popeye eats some spinach and wins out in the end, just in <laughs> case anyone was worried. So, I mean, for God's sake, how dare, how dare you spoil uh, oh, with a completely unpredictable yes. twist a cartoon that is 60 years old? I think I'm going to have to cancel you now, Terence. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my capacity to, to burst into tears and have nightmares meant that at the sound of the Doctor Who theme um, music and the visuals of swirling scary shapes, my mother would come hastily into the room and, and turn the television off and this meant i never fully got to hear delia darbish's work with ron grainer mm. on that doctor who theme tune for which by the way she never received a co-composer well, credit quite, yes but there was more to delia Derbyshire than doctor who as we found out this week jules with the screening on bbc4 last sunday of a drama documentary delia Derbyshire: the myths and the legendary tapes Yes, this was an interesting thing. I was aware of Delia Derbyshire's work and I had the the absolute privilege three years ago of uh, DJing sort of opening and in-between bands for a show put on by the Radiophonic Workshop down in Hastings at a venue that sadly no longer exists, although hopefully it will come back in a a different different sort of guise. But that was, was there's a a younger man that sort of become the gatekeeper on them and some of the the sort of gentleman members, no women I know, but we can discuss that later Mm. on, um, including... Um, I think Paddy Kingston was ill, so I couldn't be there. But there's a few of the the chaps, the sort of the original chaps, were there, and it was excellent. But uh, so I knew. 
and and they did actually credit Delia when ending on a seven minute medley of versions of Doctor Who. But mm. um, but yeah, it's very very interesting. Uh, it was, I, so I was delighted this was on because she's always been a bit of a hero of mine. And uh, the thing you say about Ron Grainer, they didn't actually use this in the in the program, but on the Wikipedia page it says that uh, so Ron Grainer gave Delia Derbyshire the kind of the sort of the uh, he explained how he wanted the Doctor Who theme to go, and she sort of she she genuinely sort of imagined it. So she was the sort of co-creator to it. And apparently, when she played it back to Ron Grainer, he uh, he said to her, "Did I really write that?" And she apparently said most of it. So mm. <laughs> she's about that. Mm. So so this was an interesting program, and that it was a like you say a docudrama. So we had kind of snatches of interviews with people. We had a uh, cozy Van Tutti from uh, Throbbing Gristle did a sort of a music that was. Kind kind of war, war sort of woven through it and we we spoke to her we heard she spoke to us sometimes it was strangely and, and admirably very much a labor of love by caroline katz she's the wife of oh. doc martin and she's also was in something called murder in suburban she's been in various sort of you know she's known as a kind of a sort of an ITV comedy drama actress um, right. and she sort of directed and starred in this and I think did some of the writing for it as well um, and so it sort of told the story of Delia's life in a, in a slightly haphazard way um, you know we jumped about a bit and mm. we saw her sort of in the in you know in the sort of radiophonic workshop doing things not doing things the sort of sexism in the music industry that she faced at the beginning and I'm painfully aware that this might not be everybody's cup of tea. It was not a it was not a conventional drama. It, it sort of fell between a lot of stalls, and it? it was not a conventional documentary. Didn't have a hugely linear or detailed narrative, and it also wasn't a drama that you could totally escape in that you kept getting pulled out of it. Having said that, I felt from what I know of Dee Dee Derbyshire's life that it was a good reflection of how her life was and how she worked and who she was. I did buy Caroline Katz as Delia Derbyshire. I thought she was very good. And I, I enjoyed its strangeness. I enjoyed the fact that much like Line of Duty, much like something called The Serpent that was on, on the BBC over Christmas and in the new year, it might still be on iPlayer. I did quite like the fact that we weren't spoon fed this happened and then that happened. I get that every, I, I sense that you, it might not be for you, but I could be wrong. And I sense that it might be a lot of, for a lot of people, but I, I enjoyed its weirdness. I, I, you know, even if not all of it worked, I felt it was true to the spirit of Gynodelia that, that not everything worked. Yeah, it was a very interesting thing. They did gloss over the last few years of her life, which were very mm. unhappy and rather drink sodden, I think. I very much enjoyed the kind of Delia narrating her own life at the end and pointing out, you know, what do they will they ever stop going on about the fact I wrote the theme to Doctor Who? Mm. And you know, and uh, you know, they said this and she's like, Well, no, that's wrong. Uh, she collaborated with Brian Jones. Well, no, I met him once. I, I I enjoyed that very much, that kind of that sort of peeling apart of the, you know. We always, when you read obituaries, they're always six of the most basic lines about someone's life, aren't they? And I liked its attempts to unpack a different sort of life, really. But I'd be interested to see what you think, because I suspect it might be the polar opposite of what I've just said. Well, that's a familiar response for me. Um, I, I fear that the, I found this was way too long. I, it was originally a short film by Caroline Katz. Oh, and that was, was I, oh, interesting. The, the, yeah, yeah, and that was the right format for it, I think. Um, 
Delia Derbyshire, she's an interesting person and she has oh. her place in history, but her life outside the radiophonic workshop was not interesting and her reliance on alcohol, as you mentioned, mm. for most of her adult life meant that she actually achieved very little of note after Doctor Who when she was very, very young. And I felt the story couldn't be sustained so mm. competing elements were brought in and that involved uh, as you said it included the so-called performance artist cozy fantuti fanny tutti and that was i felt an insult to delia derbyshire's memory because delia derbyshire created a new sense of sound mm, cozy fanny tutti just makes noise and mm, I see no merit, yeah. no cultural merit in her whatsoever. I would have much preferred some sort of audio-visual representation of Delia Derbyshire's mm. work. We saw short glimpses of this in the Caroline Katz film, but all too infrequently. Um, yeah, an interesting character, but not interesting enough life story to sustain 90 minutes of television. Well, no. Well, having said that, so so you said you would rather a sort of a, a, a video, sort of audio representation. We also watched as as a sort of a pairing. Mm. Um, so 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 we, you had one way of doing it, which was you know Dilly Dobson and you know this docudrama thing. There's also a film that we watched this week called Sisters with Transistors, which is rentable online through various different sources. I rented this through my local cinema, the Electric Palace Cinema on Hastings, through their website. If you you have a local um establishment you might be able to do the same thing it's um a, a, fe a feature documentary by lisa rovner is her name and it focuses on a number of individuals it tells the story of a number of women in, in electronic music that we do get some really interesting archive interviews from delia Derbyshire. and i think actually probably as much as i liked caroline katz in her film the most interesting bits were snatches from the archive of delia herself who were given a number of interviews which were really interesting mm. i thought and something which wasn't brought up in the document in in the drama documentary which i think told a real story in this was and, it, and i think it tells a story about a lot of people from that generation in the the big influence from Dida darby said one of the big influences on her work was growing up in wartime Coventry, mm. which, as we all know, was really bombed to pieces, hence why it's got a modern cathedral. And she said that the sound of her of her childhood was air raid sirens. And that's yeah. what kind of... And, and I, I, I found this documentary really, really interesting, actually, that it... And what it did... What, what sort of... The, the nerve it struck with me was it told the stories of a lot of women who we just simply knew nothing about. I, I, I consider myself to be fairly adjacent to the world of electronic music I, I i'm not saying i'm an expert but i wouldn't say i was a beginner i've got some knowledge i hadn't heard of 80 percent of the women that were mm. that were talked mm. about in this and interesting it was daphne Oram that was one of the pioneers that set up the electronic the radiophonic workshop at the bbc yeah you didn't you heard a snatch of her in the in the delia mm, derbyshire exactly. documentary but having said that they weren't there at the same time i don't think but the interesting thing is is that there only ever seems to be one woman in any field who is mm. allowed to be successful at point. once i think mm. that's changing now but it's like oh well if you hear about delia derbyshire you're not allowed you know we don't hear about daphne Oram, and and it was really interesting and, and actually when you watch this documentary it's great that they tell so many women's stories and it's not the documentaries makers fault that this is why it was but it, it moves through time which is really clever 
but you realize that there was only really one woman that was allowed to sort of operate at a high it felt like there was only one woman that was allowed to operate in a certain level mm. at each time and so so it's that that was an interesting takeaway I, I i i mean probably on balance i preferred sisters with transistors simply because it told a lot of really interesting so there's some wonderful quotes the um marianne amacha who's got or amasha who's got a, there's a wonderful photo of her with a tape machine which is the film poster i just wrote on my notepad it was an effervescent time and i mm. love that as a kind of a phrase and i think the most telling thing Suzanne Ciani, I think her name is. She was the first woman to write a to write a, a, a feature score for a film, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, in 1980. The next woman that was allowed to write a score for a feature film was 1994 that was 14 years later mm. so that's the extent to which we I think we're only now starting to move towards a world where you know we can hear about people other than the same names I mean I you know I adore Dede Derbyshire but it was nice to hear you know she's the name that is always mentioned and you know she was incredibly talented and did did amazing things but I really really liked hearing about other women Yes. And before I forget as well, by the way, if you want to watch the Delia Derbyshire, um, yes. Delia Derbyshire, the myths and legendary tapes, it's available to watch for free on the BBC iPlayer yeah. for the next 11 months from May oh, yes. 2021. Yeah, it was an exquisite coincidence that you know, the recently released Sisters mm. with Transistors, as you say, directed by Lisa Rovner. Um, and uh, you know, electronic sound, music, women pioneers and so on. And... Uh, it was a chronological journey, as you mentioned, but, mm. and I thought it was interesting. We began by putting women's situations into context at the yes. beginning of the 20th century, including the fight for suffrage, and mm. highlighted was how the absence of men during yes. the Second World War in particular led to a new form of liberation for women mm. who, uh, having taken responsibility for so much during the, the war years, were not willing to return to their no. previous <laughs> lives. And, you know, this journey was mirrored by the advance of women in electronic sound and music. Well, in contrast to the BBC Arena film, I loved Sisters with Transistors. It was mm. beautifully narrated by Laurie Anderson. Yes, that Took was us lovely. on a, a voyage, uh, a bit of a trip when we reached the 1960s, I suppose. Yes, quite. Um, I, I thought Delia Derbyshire's context was better here. She yes. wasn't Joan of Arc, as depicted in the BBC film. She was a talented innovator who was very creative for a short time. And then she went off to take a series of day-to-day -day jobs, like working in a shop, and had issues with alcohol she did well she did one thing that i thought the documentary the drama doc did represent quite well was actually you say she worked in a shop she did mm. have some quite high powered jobs including supervising the laying of of i think it was a gas line yeah wasn't that in, interesting in, yes. yes and that that was very interesting i think so she did things that weren't I, I don't think I don't I think she did do some things of notes later on in her life but um but and and the, and the doc the drama doc documentary was good in drawing the parallels between the music making and the sort of because she was a mathematician as well as a musician and I thought that was she did mathematics and music that was yes. her kind of background so so yeah I thought I'd, I yes I'd, I I would like to stick up for a bit in that respect I think yeah it's also interesting to understand um as you mentioned I found this quite interesting it's inspired by the sounds of the destruction of Coventry during the Second yes. World War. I mean, not many people would hear that as a potential no. musical sequence. And that's 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 a lot about her. Yeah. Yes, and it was also um, good to see uh, Daphne Oram give an equal yes. billing. And I thought, 
You could draw a straight line from Daphne Oram's early 60s electronic music experience right through to Tomorrow Never Knows and onwards yes. to Eno and um, Harold Budd. And I was particularly taken with Daphne Oram's Oramics, which was great. Yes, I thought but that was brilliant. And and interestingly, we've spoken before and we think we've played her music on the, on this podcast about Anna Meredith, yes. who is, in my view, the, the one of the best living composers. And interestingly, you say about Oramics and the sort of the shapes. Mm. So the, what, da, without, I think it's worth watching this, but Daphne Oram was sort of drawing things that could then be put through machines. Mm. One of the ways that Anna Meredith has talked about that she works is when when she's first you know has ideas for composing a piece she draws shapes to represent what she thinks it looks or sounds like in her brain so she's shown she wouldn't write sheet music at the beginning but she would draw a large triangle that's going in one direction or something and I thought that was interesting that as a sort of a, a female composer that's working now uh, yeah like you say I thought it was really I, I was really struck by by the link between oramics and that really I thought that was a very telling thing mm. one um Amusing moment I found in Sisters with Transistors um, was footage of uh, Marianne Amache, who you mentioned yes. earlier, in, in later life. Oh, uh, at the wor end. Worked with Sonic Youth. Oh, and, yes, she did, didn't she? And, and there was uh, footage uh, of Thurston Moore with his fingers pressed firmly to his yes. ears, wincing at Amache's composition. And I thought <laughs> if Thurston Moore found it too loud, the windows yeah. must have been under threat. It was, I mean, I had to turn it down on my, on my computer. <laughs> yeah. I was watching it through at that point. I th what I thought was incredibly moving actually was I think it ended I think it ended with and I I think it was Pauline Olivieros who who was who was a very interesting figure that it's her her sort of thing as it were was that she played the accordion in lots of strange ways and I think it was her at the very end who is shown visibly very moved at the idea that she said, oh, well, people never really heard my music and now people are sort of hearing it. And she she couldn't speak. She was so moved. And then it would seem that she's passed away because when they said at the very end they had, oh, this is dedicated to the memory of, which I thought was a lovely touch. And, yeah, I just, I thought it was really... I, I thought it told a very moving story at, mm. at, at how, you know, things things have moved very, very slowly. But it just like you say, it's interesting. I like your point about the straight line from Daphne Oram and, mm. and Dark to, 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 to Tomorrow Never Knows and Beyond, because it, is, it feels like it's only within the last five to ten years. The radiophonic has always been a cult thing. And I thought someone, I think it was Ben Baker online, made a really good point at the end of the Delia Derbyshire thing that this music is not only not mainstream, but it's almost like there are certain, the, the certain sort of, People like things being a cult, don't they? Morrissey's, when, when mm. we were allowed to like Morrissey, is that we hate it when our friends become successful. Mm. There are people that really guard zealously, like it's a secret. And he said, I really feel for anybody that's just watched that as a casual listener, who's gone, oh, I liked it. You know, that was interesting. I'd like to hear more of Delia Derbyshire's music. And then searches about how to buy it, only to find that you can almost certainly only buy most Delia Derbyshire stuff as limited edition records store day releases that that you know mm. I have to pay hundreds of pounds for and I think it is it is frustrating that some of that I mean yes Didi Derbyshire and, and Daphne Oram we're only hearing about them in now sort of five to ten years in the mainstream really before that you know it was like oh wasn't it great the tomorrow never knows came from nowhere well it didn't it mm. didn't is is my is my feeling on that 
but maybe part of the problem that has been people guard certain people and i have to say largely men guarding things as a sort of a cult and not wanting people to sort of um enjoy things widely really so maybe that that hasn't helped really but um yeah i mm. thought sisters with transistors was i mean i, I like them both but i think that that is it, that sisters with transistors is very interesting it, it's the same length as the delia derbyshire mm, film i know but yeah, it yeah, seemed we covered to a lot of ground, yeah. and we lot we covered a lot of ground in sisters mm. with Sanchez, which was very interesting i thought i just want to very quickly just Ooh. finally um mention there was a very good section paying tribute to wendy carlos and here was the person who really did forge the biggest breakthrough of synthesizers both through the soundtrack to clockwork orange which gained an audience of bright young things in the early 70s i I, you know i remember it so well Mm. but wendy carlos's albums of switched on bark at that time were an absolute must for hit parents in the 70s and the popularity of those Carlos albums has become a bit lost, but they were a sensation at the time and a mm. huge leap for synthesized sounds into the into the mainstream. And and of course, also one of the great pioneers, again, for people who might not be familiar with, with the work of Wendy Carlos, who are sort of searching for it online or, or looking in records. And I saw a record. At one of those records, actually, in a record store yesterday when I was looking huh. through the early LPs, you will find credited to Walter, Car- Walter Carlos, because that's who Wendy was at the start of her life. And then and then she transitioned and, and is now Wendy Carlos. So if you're looking for that sort of music, if you wonder if Walter Carlos and Wendy Carlos are in some way related, they are the same person. So so that is that is something to bear in mind. But no, I thought it was great that that, that Wendy Carlos got her due, really, because like you say, it's almost like and I, I think I don't know if this if I'm reading too much into this, but it feels to me like would that switched on bar because for ages was kind of seen as a bit of a sort of a naff kit. It was dismissed mm. as a kind of a naff kitschy yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm. And you feel like saying would that have been the case if this had been made by a by you know white heterosexual man? Would we would we be sort of sneering at it in a way that that we are if it's made by you know a, a queer person? I I find that yeah I do find that frustrating. I must admit there is this and there were sort of there were elements of that sort of addressing that in the sisters in transistors film it was it was you know it was really mm. um you know it was it's uh yeah it was, it was very you know although I, I thought that one of the standout quotes from that film was actually Dee, you know Dee Derbyshire's pioneering work early on in that she just her quote which I thought was was summed up all of these women in a way she said I did all sorts of things I was told I couldn't do and I thought it was very telling that mm. Daphne Orham and you know all of these women uh, the, the woman that did sort of soundtracks there was a woman that, that did a lot of uh, promotional things I mean they all they it's like they were told they couldn't do something so they just found a way to do it and and I've been on radio courses before with with I remember meeting a girl once so I think it was on heat radio and I said to her how did you get on and she said oh I got work as a receptionist there and I would and I think Daphne Oram did the same thing which made me think of it here she said oh, I just I'd just go into the studio late at night when no one was there and I'd get the security guard to let me in and I'd make my own demos using the equipment and then I'd go home and get a few hours sleep and then I'd go back in and be the receptionist <laughs> again and I and and she ended up presenting on mm. heat and I love the fact I say I love the fact it's frustrating in a way that it always seems to be women that have to find a way around the system rather than make you know rather than you know, just being able to use the system but yeah I thought it was very interesting that all of these women made their own space 
Yeah, this was a great documentary, Sisters with Transistors. It's available to stream via different outlets, and it mm. really depends on where you are in the world. So you really just have to Google it, um, but put Sisters with Transistors and stream, and wherever you are in yeah, the world, you can show find you somewhere yeah. to, find, to watch it, I think. Coming up next, Radio After Dark. Mm. That's right after Basement Jacks.
we still live in in what appear to be never-endingly uncertain times as things go a bit here and there i just needed a blast of some sort of city pop energy to to just sort of to dust away the 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 crud on the top bit of my brain and that is the record that always does that for me i feel like it i feel that's that's the equivalent of you know lockets or tunes really or strepsils that i suck on that tune and my ears are suddenly cleared out and i'm suddenly can can experience things with a bit more sharpness that was the excellent basement jack and where's your head at Basement Jack's often under the radar a little bit, yes, and I it's easy so. to forget what a su- successful duo they've been. Or yes. I've always had a soft spot for them since they released a track called Bingo Bango. Yes, and, that's uh, a lovely tune. What was that um, Super Furry Animals track that uh, has oh, got a Bing similar Bong. name? Yes, Bing Bong, yes, I really Yes, which I we've played, I think. I love that yeah. are called Bing Bong and Bingo Bango, but uh, no, that's a good track. Um I think most people of my age, uh, he says, speaking for a generation. <laughs> I was um, going to say, thank you, in, Methuselah. <laughs> yes, uh, have a sort of lifetime love of radio. Mm. And there's none more than me. And before yeah. we had everything in an instant and on demand, yes. a radio was a precious asset. Just about the only real time communication with the world outside our homes that was in any way portable. It was what was called a transistor radio, mm. sort of 60s, 70s. In the UK, um, due to uh stifling government restrictions mm. there was only a handful of stations and if you were awake during the night as i often was as a teenager there was really only one station at night that continued broadcasting uh particularly speech radio and that was the bbc world service there was something immensely comforting to be able to break up the spell of dark nights by listening to any number of plays and discussion programmes in the middle of the night. The only other option on AM radio was the American Forces Network, which was also brilliant. It would broadcast live baseball games, which due to the, the like time difference, were perfect middle of the night listening for the youth mm. or me. Um, years have passed, and yet, um, Jules, there's still a fascination for sounds to comfort or entertain in the dark hours of the night. Absolutely. And I think this perhaps this might date from a time where television didn't go on all night, but radio did. So there'd be a close down on, you know, sort of what, you know, and we only had sort of three channels ended with two or three channels and there'd be a close down. And there is something about the radio which you can just reach out and it's always there. It's it's always sort of going on. I would recommend, by the way, anybody, I think it's written really well about in John Osborne, who, bless him, I, I sort of know vaguely from my university days, who has to spend his whole life saying, not that John Osborne. I was just going to say. Yeah, I'm not, not that John man. Osborne. No, not yeah, that. Yeah, he's, 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 he's sort of a little bit older than me rather than, yeah. you know, the John Osborne. Mm-hmm. Writes, I love his writing. He always writes really interesting books. And he his first book, I think, was a book called Radiohead which is one of the books that made me think that I wanted to present on radio. And he talks about radio in the night and 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 sort of how important it is. And he talks about when there was an earthquake somewhere in, in northern Britain, I can't remember where now, and how he ended up listening to the to the station, the local station overnight and the sort of comfort that it gave people in, in giving information. There is something about the wee small hours, isn't there, that you can sort of turn on the radio and there is there is something going on 
there i so there's a podcast i've been revisiting recently because i've forgotten all about it um i used to listen to it and then then i, I don't know why i just fell away but i i discovered it's it's it again recently when looking for things to listen to actually late at night when i was about to go to sleep mm. um jarvis cocker did the the sometime lead singer of pulp who's now a sort of a broadcaster on the side he did do a sunday service show on on six music bbc six music on sunday afternoons um i've also been doing a podcast i think it went out on radio three quite late at night called wireless nights Mm. which always has a sort of a a nighttime kind of theme um he did well firstly he did a i only discovered it recently i wish i'd heard it at the time i think it would have been even more powerful he did a, a lockdown kind of special in in may 2020 which was he's one of those people who the way that he uses his voice and the way that they kind of mic him up and, and sort of the way he does it i did feel like i was with jarvis cocker in his house and he was telling me about things and taking me to talk to people and I thought that was lovely. And he did a particularly moving episode, I think. Um, I think it's called Megahertz. Mm. It's worth checking this out, which is after the sort of phrase, I draw the megahertz, in which he speaks to Paddy McLoon, the, the sometime lead singer of Prefab Sprout, um, about he had he had a very serious problem with his eyesight that meant he had to have an operation. And couldn't really see for a very long time and he said he'd had to lie in a darkened room because of this operation and he'd find himself listening to sort of radio through the night and and you know trawling the megahertz himself you know to find different stations living in the southeast of england on the coast as i do i can often get french stations unexpectedly and get snatches of of i mean in the car when i used to be driving sometimes and i had the fm radio on and you were trying to find things but depending upon which road in hastings you were you can find different french and it's really interesting because it's it's just something even if you can't understand we've just come off the back of eurovision even if you can't understand what someone is is saying it's still very in a way it's even more mysterious and interesting to have to have someone there so i'm a big fan of jarvis cocker's podcast and and the, the idea of trying to find sort of something late at night i'd also recommend the podcast called nocturne which is a monthly affair that sometimes that, that you know it, again is trying to find those sort of nighttime spaces and 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 make something out of that i was unaware of the jarvis cocker series which is actually on radio four so this mm. week i listened oh, to apologies. thank you right. <laughs> i listened to an episode that was a kind of greatest hits mm. and i absolutely adored it i've not I'm been glad. a fan of yes. jarvis or pulp but he's absolutely perfect for wireless nights yes he was calm and measured very engaging it's superb host for it's a really lovely nighttime journey really in which he experiences all sorts of every day or i suppose rather every every night adventures and he brings such warmth to it that it's absolutely delicious to drift along with or or drift off to yeah and also lovely i can't recommend paddy mcaloon's i troll the megahertz enough it's isn't it absolutely gorgeous album and and born from the same Mm. concept as uh, of troubled sleepless nights and it's a beautiful musical work and as as you mentioned when you know the story of his eyesight issues and the inspiration for the album it makes it even more so poignant um i would one another thing just to jump in on that so when i'm just trying to find what episode it is but one of the very i knew about wireless nights anyway we talk frequently about the fortunately podcast with a mm-hmm. few glover and jane garvey on this podcast because i love it it was a very different well, not very different but it's original format for the first sort of 20 episodes or so it was meant to be the two of them meeting up and you know chatting for a bit and then 
playing bits of radio to each other that they'd enjoyed. Now, it turns out that people enjoyed the chat more. So they ended up, um, you know, sort of it became about that. But one of the things that they recommended to that one recommended to the other was and I, I found this one of the, the most moving sort of early shows of fortune was it was just in the aftermath of the Manchester attacks, which mm. I believe happened four years ago today, as we record this podcast, terrible attack on an Ariana Grande concert in Manchester in which people largely young people died and it was it was just a terrible upsetting time that was also going up in the middle of um the middle of sort of um yeah, the, the middle of uh, of the brexit you know sort of machinations and it was a very stressed we were you were we were on general election footing here it was a very disarming time and i think it was either episode nine or ten they talked about um a brilliant um introduction that jarvis cocker did when hosting wireless nights not wireless nights the other one sunday service um and his first show after the manchester attacks which had been sort of two or three days previously he did an introduction to his show that afternoon which he spoke for i think think seven or eight minutes before he played a record and the bed that he had to play over was the gentle humming of bees Mm. because bees are the sort of symbol of Manchester and it was it's worth finding I don't know if you can find that episode anywhere the the, the actual episode of Widest Nights but it's worth finding it's either episode nine or ten unfortunately Mm. it's worth pulling that out because they talk about how good it is and you hear him talking and it is just so calming. He hits the tone absolutely right. And he, no, I think he's a wonderful broadcaster. And like you say, unexpectedly good, mm. but re- really, really underrated, I think. Yes, very much so. To this day, I still have the radio as a companion at night time. Mm. And I find speech comforting music i find too yes. stimulating fair enough speech, yeah. speech radio is distracting and um the radio station here in the uk called talk radio um mm. the london-based station yeah absolutely excellent overnight there's paul ross during the week and martin kellner on fridays and saturdays mm. and both are ideal for overnights and both have very good producers um who act as the um, presenter's friend but there's mm. no lulls and bants or anything no. like that or one-upmanship it's all very um supportive and it is really good it often makes uh, the vital difference having a very good producer particularly on speech mm. radio so yeah hats off to late night radio absolutely always there for us at all moments although as a friend of mine said to me once when i said to her i'm going to bed can't decide what to listen to radio for world service and she said radio four you never know what's going to jump out at you from world service to stress you so so yeah maybe maybe you need to find some spoken word that is unstressful but yes i agree coming right up keith moon freddie mercury ozzy osbourne are there any modern day equivalents or is rock and roll excess all in the past That's next after Cousteau. All 
1999 and their first album, Cousteau mm. and the Last Good Day of the Year. That is lovely. I haven't heard that for a very long time and it was lovely to hear it again. So thank you. Now, there's no surprise, I suppose, that it was much easier being a disreputable <laughs> yes. rock and roll renegade before social media and everyone carrying cameras around with their yes. mobile phones. No one to video you falling off a bar anywhere. Indeed. Well, back in the late 1970s, before she formed The Pretenders, when Chrissy Hind mm. was screaming at Nick Kent over dustbins outside music <laughs> venues, the length and breadth of London, it was only me and a handful of other people, other people attending punk gigs at small pubs that witnessed mm. it. Today, if she later became famous any number of videos and photos would turn up one of the one of the worst rock and roll excesses i ever saw was the behavior of chuck berry um as at 18 Mm. i had the misfortune to be tour manager for one of his money-making minimum effort tours in the mid-70s and every evening 
he had simple ambitions i had to show him the money in cash before he would perform um <laughs> He had me or another poor member of the team standing at the side of the stage to signal exactly when his contracted 45 minutes wow. of the stage was done. And he Not would phoning be, it in by any, any stretch of the He would literally stop mid-song and walk off. You, you had a watch and you would, 45 minutes, you waved your hand down and he would literally stop. Whatever, even if he was at the first three chords of Johnny Be Good, and he would just walk off. That's my 45 minutes. That's what wow. I've been paid for. And finally, um, and, and most awfully, his most pressing need was to find and let us say liaise with the yes. youngest long looking sort of blonde girl he could find. Um, he didn't need privacy. He was perfectly at ease uh, conducting this liaison. Uh, on one occasion, I, I, I witnessed. Um, he was eating a cheese sandwich in yes, a busy dressing room yeah, whilst enjoying the, the company of a young woman. Um, what about the modern era, Jules? Are your musical heroes all about the rock and roll debauchery? Well, no, I don't think so anymore. And I think in a way there will always be people that will go, oh, rock stars are not the same anymore. They're not very interesting. To be fair, I do get frustrated by the modern sort of big music stars, people like Ed Sheeran, you know, giving bland, you know, focus groups into, or people like him. I don't want to attack him personally, but some of those singers giving very bland, focus grouped interviews that, you know, not, you know, it's good for them that they want privacy, but we don't, we don't know much about them. Having said that, and this excellent piece in the Telegraph by Ian Winwood makes the good point that, you know, it ended the deaths in the last 10 years, Amy Winehouse, Kid Flint from The Prodigy, Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park, um, you know, Chris Cornell, um, his suffering. It's very, it's very strange. Uh, Scott Weiland as well, um, who passed away. It's, it's very, I think that's made everyone pause for thought. I think, I think it's very telling that, um, that it's, that it's, um, that we now live in this kind of world where, maybe it's our mental health awareness has increased and maybe that is a good thing that rather than just seeing the, the sad demise of Amy Winehouse rather than just seeing her you know oh it's just rock and roll that she's staggering about on the stage and not able to perform that we're now able to see what's going on behind that and I think I do wonder if a lot of people over the years ended up dying unnecessarily you know the 27 mm. club and all that sort of mm. thing because what you know Kurt Cobain's comes to mind that what was seen early on as rock and roll behavior was actually a cry for help by desperately unwell people so in a way I am pleased that we don't live in this kind of debauched era i do feel that people are perhaps being kept safer as a result um i mean yes the stories of some of the stories are fun aren't they obviously your your chuck berry stories are, are rather sort of seedy and depressing but you know there are some there are stories it was about, awful know, like keith moon blowing up toilets mm. and and you know that sort of um that that sort of you know those sort of uh, you know the dirt by Motley Crue and those sort of things. Tommy Lee from from uh, from Motley Crue makes that makes the point that um that you know obviously they didn't have Instagram you know they they were they were able to live this out in a way that that people would didn't get sort of pulled up on and maybe that has maybe that that has made I don't know if it's made people behave better or it's just driven that behavior to sort of non-online places I don't know but the the sort of the I do find the idea of the sort of rock and roll behavior oh it's just rock and roll man a little bit tedious Italy won the Eurovision Song Contest last night with a sort of rock and roll style band um 
rumours that the singer was caught on camera in passing doing something he perhaps should not have been oh, doing on no. live TV. Um, it, was, it was very... And I found it tedious. We all thought mm-hmm. that the Italian song was just noise. We didn't... I say we all, the people that I was watching it with, we just didn't... You know, I I, I find the idea that, oh, you know... And, and when they asked the singer to accept the... Uh, Except the thing he actually awarded, he actually said something like, "This is a message for everyone: rock and roll will never die." To which I feel like saying, "Well, I, I would rather it did, really, if that is all it that's yeah. that's all it is." So I think it's very easy for people to think that smashing up a toilet makes them a rock star. No, it doesn't. Making loads of really good albums over a fifteen-year period, I will let you smash up a toilet if you've done that first. But otherwise, I I do. I do find myself, maybe I'm just older now, I do find myself a bit eye-rolling, although I have to say I am a very big fan of Noel Gallagher's description of rock and roll excess when he said that he he got told off by his very devout, sort of strict Irish Catholic mother rung him up once, I won't do the accent, and apparently said to him, you know, what's this I've heard about you collapsing? This is terrible news. And he said, Mum, I didn't collapse, I just fell over and couldn't get up for a while. <laughs> which I quite like as a as a sort of a description yeah. of it. so so there there is humour in it but mm. having seen and I think as a woman of the age I am I really did feel like and a, a good friend of mine of a similar age feels like this as well we felt like Amy Winehouse was one of ours and seeing that happen in real time with no one to stop it and then and then it ending in the worst possible way. Yeah, I think things like that happening in our era, I'm glad that we have more open minds towards what is causing people to do this i'm yeah i i much i much prefer it that way rather than you know yes it is isn't it hilarious that people blow stuff up and i'll take loads of drugs yes but then the payoff is usually that they die before they should do and it's not good i've never understood the lulls and the mm. indulgence of atrocious behavior by rock stars uh, talking of uh, keith moon it reminds me when i was at college i had a friend who had a part-time job mm. at a supermarket in chertsey in surrey and when we met up and i said oh no how's it going he'd often say oh we had keith moon in today because he lived um St. Oh, yes. Hill, just outside chertsey and say oh yeah we, we had keith moon in today and they would follow a story about appalling behavior led by sort yes. of drunkenness and drugs and you know it isn't funny if you're the poor soul who has to mop Absolutely. up Moon's urine in a supermarket you know and um, Moon oh, I mean he geez. treated women disgracefully he killed his driver and bodyguard by hitting him with a car um, you know I don't mean to sound like Mary Whitehouse but no. why are we expected to indulge or find this sort of behaviour amusing because it, it isn't you know Stephen Tyler Slash John Bonham Jimmy Page Marilyn Manson their lifestyles and behaviour it isn't rock or rock and roll or anything to aspire to. There's nothing exotic about finding yourself on a defibrillator or on a mortuary slab. And as you say, um, no one needs to be boring, but just look at how it all turned out for Amy Winehouse. You know, it's, it's no mm-hmm. way to live or indeed die. Quite. Um, thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for being along with us as always. We very much appreciate your company. Um, to play us out, Jules, it's a track I remember mainly from its use during the 2012 Olympics on the BBC. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, I see. I'd sort of forgotten that that was that, that was used there. It's, but it's the sort of song that you know without knowing what it is. And then the minute it starts, it's like, oh, so that's what that is. Because like you say, using the Olympics, used on 
just backing music on everything i think it's it's a very evocative sound um i i'm not familiar with the work of m83 very much beyond this but this is one of those tunes that seems to have burrowed its way into our kind of consciousness but it's a very i find this a very evocative track and maybe this fits in literally and metaphorically to our kind of nighttime themes that we were talking about and our electronic weirdness this is m83 and midnight city
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>